Hello, Marketeers. Welcome to another episode of AEC Marketeer Podcast, exploring AEC marketing and beyond. I'm your host, Keelan Cox, and I'll be exploring marketing trends and answering your most pressing questions to help you thrive as an AEC Marketeer. Hello, Marketeers, and welcome to this week's episode of the AEC Marketeer Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to Gabe Lett. He is an SMPS fellow and a CPSM, and we're going to talk about his experience as a counselor and his experience as an AEC marketer and how they cross over. I hope you enjoy. All right. Well, thank you so much, Marketeers, for joining us. Today, I have on Gabe Lett. He's a CPSM and an FSMPS is a veteran of AEC marketing and business development. He has served three consulting engineering firms over a 16 year period. He's a published writer contributing to numerous articles, educating and promoting best practices for AEC marketing professionals. Gabe also presents for several SMBS chapters and regional conferences on a range of topics. His background as a licensed professional counselor gives Gabe unique insights into the marketing profession. Welcome, Gabe. Thank you very much. That is quite a resume. (laughs) Yeah, it kind of hops and skips all over the place, but um, believe it or not, it does all tie together eventually. (laughs) So explain to me then how you got started in the AEC industry. What's your story? Yeah, so this is, um, as most people have, just really interesting stories. I, I think mine's rather interesting. I started working for my dad's company, Tri-State Engineering, and I was 13 years old, and I started working on the land surveying crews for a summer job. So my dad's a civil engineer that owned a business, and that was that was just what I did, summer work. So all through my teenage years, my introduction to this industry was out in the field, trying to overcome snakes and all kinds of nastiness as a land surveyor and enjoyed that to a certain degree, but didn't enjoy it enough to want to go into that type of profession. So instead, I went to college for Christian ministry and counseling and did that, did vocational ministry and and got my master's degree in counseling. And so in 2003 is really when I came back into the AEC world, but this time from a marketing perspective. I started working part-time again for Tri-State Engineering and was building a private practice counseling on the side. So back in 2003, when I was doing that part-time, it was mostly a little bit of proposal coordination. Maybe one day a week, I'd go out and do some cold call business development work and have a handful of brochures. And most of the clientele at that time were municipal public works. So I'd go and visit with public works directors and mayors and whatnot. And then every once in a while, I'd go to a professional association conference for the company. So that was kind of my my first dip my toe in the water kind of experience with marketing in this industry. And then fast forward to 2008, I had continued to build a private practice in counseling. And I kind of would do part-time marketing tasks for Tri-State Engineering through that 2003 to 2008 period. Then finally, in late 2000. 2008, the um, management team of that company, Tri-State Engineering, approached me about flip-flopping and just doing my counseling part-time and coming on as their full-time marketing director. So in January of 2009, I decided to do that 
and try it for a year and see if I liked it. And I have never looked back. I have thoroughly enjoyed being a full-time marketer and uh, joined SMPS at that point in time in 2009. I decided, well, if I'm going to do this, I better better jump in over my head. And so SMPS was kind of my, well, not kind of, it was my formal education in learning how to become an AEC marketer. And uh, then earned my CPSM in 2011 and just been going at it ever since. I find this so interesting that the engineering company came to you in 2009 when most marketers were getting laid off saying that they wanted a full-time marketer. That yeah, is such and, incredible foresight. <laughs> well, and that's, and I remember the conversation I had initially with my dad, it would have been in like probably September of 2008. And if people recall 2008, the fall, everything was starting to take a dive economically at that point. And so my dad talked to his management team and said, Hey, if we're going to survive this, we need somebody who's putting a full-time effort into expanding us geographically, finding us new clients, because we're not going to have as much work with our existing clients. So that was their mindset and kudos to them for, for having that foresight and recognizing, Hey, if we're going to, to survive this, we're going to have to expand. We're going to have to get a larger client base, which is exactly what we did and, and survived and did fine. Didn't lay off anybody during that period. That is so smart. So you are a licensed mental health and behavioral counselor, which I just find fascinating because in marketing, we all think we're some sort of therapist, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so how have you applied that to your career in AEC? Yeah, that's, I love this question. And the longer I'm, I'm in this AEC marketing world, the more I see things opening up in the parallels between what I've learned as far as the skills go in mental health and behavioral counseling and what I do on a day in and day out basis in, in marketing and business development. So to unpack that a little bit, so marketing and, and BD professionals are mostly all required to have like these exceptional interpersonal skills. So I, in fact, I just went on SMPS's job board the other day just to see how many people in their advertisement for a position in marketing list things that would be considered interpersonal skills. And all of them do. They all want good verbal and written communication. They all want somebody who's going to be amenable and cooperative and, and be able to work with a variety of different team members. I mean, that you know, you start looking through those job descriptions and you realize principals in these firms want marketing and BD pros to have some really good interpersonal skills. And that's one of the top skills that you have to have as a good therapist. You have to be able to get along with people well. Right. And so these skills are, that are developed and practiced in becoming a good counselor are some of the same. So, for example, great business developers, you know, they need to be warm, hospitable, easy to talk to. And if they're, if they're not, they usually aren't very good business developers. So it just happens that great therapists need to be warm and hospitable and easy to talk to. So those skills translate very well into the business development world. One of the other things that I've noticed is understanding personality theory. So as a counselor, you know, we study personality theory and we study what makes people tick and what drives and motivates them. And that applies also very well into organizational management. 
which actually has been a, a bonus for me. I don't know that all marketing and BD people have tasks that would involve organizational management in their job description. But for me, that's helped me to kind of cross over into the HR world, uh, at least in two of the three firms that I've worked with, and do some organizational management tasks that would involve, well, for example, when I was a tri-state engineering, if somebody had to be let go and it was going to be an uncomfortable conversation, I was invited into that conversation to help kind of navigate it. And that, that has to do a lot with my background in, in counseling, obviously, or even just understanding the differences when two colleagues are just butting heads and not seeing eye to eye and, and causing problems for a project. I've been called in to kind of help mitigate that and bring those two people together and help them find common ground to do what's best for the client. So those are some things in personality theory that have applied to that. And then just knowing those motives and drivers for people, whether they're clients or there are internal clients, project managers and supervisors, just having a good understanding of how to approach my colleagues with requests or, you know, creating a deadline and needing to get some data from them or getting them to participate in marketing tasks with me. I found that my skills coming from my master's degree in counseling has really helped me learn how to approach those things that sometimes are kind of difficult. I mean, we all know if you're listening to this podcast, you know, you've had issues getting the data you need from the people you're requesting it from. And you've had problems getting people to review things that you need reviewed before it goes out into a proposal. We all struggle with those kinds of things. And so learning how to get those requests made, make it easy for those people to deliver on their deadlines participate in those marketing tasks. I've found that my background has helped me to do that better. I'm really curious about this personality theory. Are there certain types of personalities that you interact with more frequently in the AEC industry than in other places? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and so I've worked for engineering companies. I have not worked for an architecture firm and haven't worked for a general contractor or some kind of construction company. However, Speaking to engineering firms, typically the type of personality that's drawn to the engineering world are usually very analytical people. They're analytical thinkers. The world is much more black and white. There's not very many shades of gray. They make decisions based on data and rational thinking. It's hard for them to understand why a client would buy from us based on emotion although they do and everybody does. I mean, even engineers buy based on emotion, but as marketers, we know that, but as technical professionals, I think that's a hard pill for them to swallow. And so I think that, and and of course I'm painting with a broad brush, not everybody who's an engineer is as, as I have described, but the vast majority of them are like that. So how that's helped me is I have to start thinking like they're thinking and approach problems and approach asking for things from them in those ways that best suit them. So if I want our company to say, write a blog, if we want to initiate a blog as part of our marketing strategy, I need to be able to provide data, analytical data that would prove why a blog would help us grow our business and get work. That's what makes sense to them because that's their personality, right? It's not what I would consider as, you know, I'm, I'm not of that kind of personality, but it doesn't matter what I consider. It matters what they consider. So that's how 
personality theory sometimes comes into play. That's a really great example. Do you have any more examples of what you've learned as a counselor and how you apply it to your day-to-day? So maybe content writing, proposal coordination, interviews, where do you see it tying in? So probably the biggest thing is listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm sure if anybody spent very much time as a, as a marketer in this industry, you've come to learn that listening in all the aspects of, of interaction is so, so important. So being a good listener is absolutely critical to being a good marketer, yeah. uh, especially if you don't have a technical background. So like for me, you know, I came into this world not as a technical, I was not an engineer. I, I wasn't trained as an engineer. I didn't think like engineering or land surveying or any of that. And so it was super important that early on in my career, I would pay attention during project management meetings when they would be talking about a specific project or engineering a specific solution for say a wastewater treatment plant or a bridge or whatever it might be, they were talking about things that were clearly over my head to begin with. Mm -hmm. So listening became very critical to understanding what was going on and to learn, to educate myself about this world and what happens when someone procures an engineer to design a a public works uh, infrastructure. So I think this listening becomes very important in preparing a team for project interviews, listening to the team and the message that they want to communicate is critical to help them shape that message appropriately. So I don't want to go in there with preconceived ideas about what I think the message should be. I want to listen to the team, what it is that they want to get across and then help them shape that message the best way I can. So that takes exceptional listening. If you're visiting with prospects at a conference, listening to them talk about their role, their tasks, their problems, their challenges, their issues, all that is absolutely critical for for good market research to understand those prospects, to know what's going on in their world, and then to be able to come back and communicate that to your project managers and engineers who are on the front lines working with those clients so that they in turn learn what it is that those clients are looking for. Because it's not always what they think. We assume we know what the client is asking for, but sometimes unless we are willing to just listen a little extra, or ask that one more question or really intently listen. Sometimes it's listening to what's not being said that gives you the clue as to what that client's really wanting from you or, or what they're really looking for from you. One of the things that I do uh, for the companies, I do debriefs. And I just did one last week over the phone with a relatively new client that hasn't been working with us for more than about 18 months. But it's a municipal client that's ordered a lot of work. And so I just had a 15 minute phone conversation with him, just asking him how we were doing and if we were performing well, and if there's anything he would like to see us do differently, you know, just a a very general debrief. And one of the things that he just kept coming back to over and over again was our level of responsiveness to him. And specifically what he really was impressed with is when he had a council meeting And he needed to explain to his city council what all was happening in town and what we were doing for them. He would ask for data. He would ask for certain specific pieces of information that he could take to that council meeting. And he said, every time I've asked, even if I've asked the day of the meeting, I've always got a quick response with good information 
even more information than what I even needed so that I, I was armed well to go talk to the council to justify why we were spending the money we were spending. And so it's, it's conversations like that and being good listeners that help you to go back to those project managers and let them know, you know what, more important than that great design, more important than, you know, that your estimate was a good estimate and, and it bid well, more important than any of that, the most important thing that this client said was that when he called and asked for something, you got it to him right away and you gave him more than he was asking for. And that's so super impressive to him. So those are the listening things that we've got to do well as marketers to help our technical professionals do their work well. And that came from debriefs. Did you want to hop in here at any point? Because I've got more to say, but I'm, <laughs> I'm on a roll, but I don't want to, you know, just totally dominate here. I'm soaking all this in. I, I'm just my the gears in my brain are turning because I'm just thinking like as marketing professionals, you know, our clients most of the time are actually our technical staff. Like we're, we're trying to help them out. And right. in turn, our technical staff are helping our clients, but we forget sometimes that our clients, they also report to someone. They also have to get their money from, from somewhere else. So they have clients too, in a sense, and I think so often that's lost. And when you help them look good, it just trickles down. Absolutely. what I'm hearing. Does. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of our clients just take it for granted or, or assume it's a given that technically we know what we're doing very well. Most clients don't really even worry about that with us. They have a high degree of confidence that we're good engineers. We design things well. We estimate costs well you know, we help them stay under budget. Those are kind of the, at least in our world, the givens. What aren't the givens is the level of attention to detail. And I don't mean a detail in the design package. I'm talking about detail in the relationship. What do we know about the client? How, what, what really is truly driving them to do this project? What pain is associated if this project doesn't happen or if it doesn't go the way that they've planned for it to go? And it's just basic human interaction skill. You want to be the kind of person that's easy to work with. And I think as marketers, generally speaking, we have personality structures that are generally pretty outgoing and easy. We're typically easy people to be around, easy people to talk to and talk with. And we can model that same kind of interpersonal skill and interpersonal behavior with our technical professionals who aren't always just naturals at that. So it may be something they have to learn a little bit more about in order to be that easy kind of person for their clients to relate to. And so that kind of segues into the, the other thing that I've learned from my counseling experience and into this job has been empathy. Mm -hmm. So if you listen well, then the next step is to put yourself in that person's world. So listening is obviously the first step, but if you've listened well, then enacting empathy or engaging empathy is the next step. Here's how this looks. So let's say you're writing a cover letter for a proposal. Learning how to empathize with a client, with the problem that, that they wish to solve. If you can nail that on the head in a cover letter, if you can figure that out and really know it and communicate it well, I guarantee you that cover letter will differentiate you from most of your competitors. But you got to figure that out. You got to have that conversation. You got to listen. You got to figure out what is it behind this project that's really driving it. If you need data from an overworked project manager, 
which how many of us have project managers that are not overworked, <laughs> right? right? I mean, yeah. I, mean I don't know about everybody else's business at this time, but ours is just booming. I mean, we've got more work than we can do. And so our PMs are, are very busy, very overworked. And yet I'm sitting here trying to initiate a blog for our company who's never done one next year and asking for them to write, which they don't like to do. So I'm like, I'm having a big ask from our project managers who are very overworked. Well, empathy will shape the way you approach that request. You desire to make it as easy as possible for her to deliver on that data. So for example, instead of just berating them for not being good writers or being frustrated with them because they say, I don't do blogs or whatever it is, get underneath all that and find out why do they not want to do it? What's, what's holding them back? And for most of them, it's just that writing takes them an inordinate amount of time because they are perfectionists. When they write, the first draft has to be perfect to them. Mm-hmm. So learning to relieve them of that fear and say, listen, you don't have, to, in fact, you don't even have to write it. If you just create an outline and tell me what your main points are, I'll ghostwrite it for you, give you the draft and let you tweak it how you want it to be. And then we've got a blog post and that'll take you all of about maybe 30 minutes to accomplish. So learning what's, what's challenging them from doing what it is you're asking from them and then eliminating those challenges by offering to do some of those pieces for them or making it as easy as possible will get you what you need. So for example, we're sitting here in mid-December. We're supposed to launch our first blog post January 12th, and I've already got six drafts written for next year that have been submitted to me. So I feel like we're on the right track, but in order to do that, I had to be able to listen what it was that was keeping them from doing it, empathize with that pain, and then figure out if there's a way I can eliminate that pain to make it easier for them to say yes. And that's so key because writing for most marketers, it is our skill. It's what we bring to the table. An engineer wouldn't ask us to go design a bridge. So why would we ask them (laughs) to write this entire blog post? That's not their skill, you know? Right. It's a great point. Yeah, great point. And, I, and I'm learning that. I mean, I, I, if you, if I would have tried this 10 years ago, I think I would have flopped. Um, <laughs> I, I guarantee, I just think I would have gotten too frustrated and said, ah, these guys, you know, they just don't want to do that, even though it's important and we'll just skip it. But I, I just, I just stuck with it. And I hate to say this, you know, don't take no for an answer, but in a way, if you listen well and you empathize with those project managers and engineers you really can take no for an answer. I mean, you have to be gentle. You have to be willing to work extra to take away those challenges and those pains that are keeping them from doing what it is you're asking from them. But if you can do that, you'll end up getting cooperation and they'll appreciate you for it. And you've just increased your value to the firm by doing so. And their value to the firm. Absolutely. You've just placed them as a thought leader. You've made them important. Yeah, and I can't wait to do this because, and, and I'm talking about a real. Th- I mean, we really are doing a blog next year, and I'm really anxious to kind of see this time next year the difference that it's made. I'm anxious to see what kinds of reaction and feedback they're going to get from existing clients. I'm really excited too to see what kind of prospective clients might start noticing us that hadn't been noticing us before. I'm very confident that's going to happen, and that's that'll be the fun part is being able to look back and say, hey, look, look at what you wrote 
and it got you this job and this job, or it finally brought on this prospect that you've been trying to get for like five years. And now you're doing a job for them. Like I, I'm looking forward to those stories. Yeah. How are you going to be measuring that? That's a good question. And I'm not prepared to answer it. Quite <laughs> <laughs> I think probably most likely we're going to push a lot of those posts in social media. Right. And, and so I can kind of track comments and people who, you know, look at it and things like that. But I think beyond that, I think just staying in touch with these guys and asking them questions about, hey, you remember that, you know, post you had three or four months ago? What kind of feedback have you got on that? And seeing just anecdotally, you know, what they're hearing from their clients, or maybe they did have, a, you know, and I'm going to encourage them when they write something, if they have a couple of prospects in mind that they just had a hard time winning any work from, I'm going to say, hey, email it to them. This affects their world and it affects their organization. So send them your post, let them know your expertise, and we'll just go from there. It sounds like you're really effective at circling back with everyone from the sounds of it. You've almost applied the same thing you just did with your clients to your technical staff, which I find really impressive. Well, before you're too impressed, if my Outlook <laughs> calendar, if my Outlook calendar goes kaput, that doesn't happen. Right. Because <laughs> basically all that is, it's just putting out in the calendar in three months, check back with, you know, Michael on his blog post to see how it's doing. So I get a reminder. So my life, my business life is constantly day after day, notifications and reminders of what I need to do, who I need to talk to, who I need to follow up with, you know, what's due and when, who do I need this information from and how soon do I need it? All that's on my Outlook calendar, which is also on my phone. If that thing goes away or blows up, I'm, I'm in trouble. That's a great little hack there. I might copy you. So I think this entire conversation, we've sort of been chipping away at this of after listening to how you apply behavioral studies to AEC, let's say I'm just Keelan, AEC marketer. What do you see as some opportunities for us to improve or adjust the way we work from a behavioral standpoint? What do those action items look like? Yeah, that's great. And I'm really glad you asked this question because I'm at a point in my career where it, it's time for me to kind of turn the corner and start taking these lessons learned that I've enjoyed over my 16 years in this business and start giving that to those, you know, entry level and five-year marketers. So while this may be good for all of us, I want to direct my comments to those who have only been in this industry for maybe five years or less. Mm -hmm. And what I kind of wished I, I would have known a little sooner. So for AEC marketers, I would like to see more personal development in assertiveness. And, and let me unpack that just a little bit. So early on in my career, and I've seen many other like marketing coordinators and entry-level marketers in this business lack assertiveness. And so for some personalities, assertiveness is, looks more like aggressiveness and it can be abrasive and harsh. And that's not what I'm looking for. And then for other personalities, assertiveness isn't even practiced. And so in other words, frustration boils up in someone because they're not getting what they asked for. They don't know how to keep their supervisor happy. They're always, you know, reworking, reworking, reworking. And finally, they explode in anger for being taken advantage of and walked over. And that's not good either. 
So I'd like to see marketers learn how to be appropriately assertive. And what this looks like in practicing good assertiveness, it's simply the ability to ask for what you want and need with consideration given to others. So sometimes you just have to be able to say, no, I cannot do that. And you, you do it with grace. You're not mean about it. You're not hostile about it. But you graciously sometimes have to say no to certain things that you just know you're not going to be able to do, at least with the time constraints or whatever it might be. And it's the ability to get what you need without rubbing others the wrong way. So assertiveness training would be good for marketers. And when I say assertiveness training, you know, you may be able to take that formally, like hiring a coach, you know, like an executive coach or a life coach and say, hey, I need to work on my assertiveness. I need to lean, learn to be more assertive in my role as in my company. And that would be fine. That would be a pretty formal way of attacking that. I think for most of us, in order to increase our assertiveness abilities, you just have to do some Google research, watch some videos. There's plenty of coaches and counselors out there that are willing to give away free content on assertiveness training. Just look it up and start working at it. Start getting better at it. Start practicing it. I think another thing, second thing other than assertiveness that I would like to see beginning marketers improve on is their self-efficacy. And so what that is, self-efficacy is one's ability to believe that you have what you need to complete a task. And so self-efficacy is very important when it comes to AEC marketers because they need to know that they a lot of times have the right approach or the right strategy in any given business task, but they doubt themselves because they kind of see themselves as the low person on the totem pole, or I'm just an entry-level marketer, or I really don't know this industry that well yet. And so they're afraid to speak up about maybe an approach or a strategy they'd like to take in marketing. And self-efficacy actually gives you an increase in your confidence to believe that you are actually bringing something unique and different and good to the company. Now, that doesn't always mean it's right. And it doesn't always mean that it'll be accepted, but you need to develop that sense of self-efficacy that you're willing to speak up and at least try something, at least give something a hearing. And I, I do that today. I'm 16 years in this. I have a lot of respect for my company. The principles of my firm listen to me well. And even today, I had an idea that was absolutely shot down by the board. <laughs> so self-efficacy is my belief in that idea that it could be effective. And I still believe it could be effective, even though they rejected it. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to fight for it or, or get my nose all bent out of shape over it. It means I'm going to put it on the back burner and approach this again next year. And I'm going to give them the same idea next year, uh, not meaning January, but maybe like December of next year. Let it sit right. for a while. <laughs> so I would like to see those early in their careers in this industry increase their self-efficacy and speak up for the things that they believe in, that they believe will work. Even if it's not accepted, that's okay. That's, that's not the measure of your success is whether or not they follow through with what it is you're asking for. It's just your ability to ask for it. It's that assertiveness, that self-efficacy, that belief in yourself that you have something of great value to give to your company. But if you never give it, they're never going to have the opportunity to either say, yeah, let's give it a try or no, not yet, or absolutely. I mean, you just don't give them the opportunity. And so good self-efficacy gives marketers the ability to speak up and advocate for what they know will work. And so many of you listening to this podcast are like me. You've been in this for a long time. You're a veteran. 
some of you longer than I have, and you know what this is like. And now you've been in it long enough, you know what works and what doesn't work. You know how good market, what good marketing looks like in this industry. And self-efficacy means you're going to speak up and you're going to push for things that you know are going to work. So I would say as far as action items on these two things, so the two things being increased assertiveness and increased self-efficacy, definitely join SMPS and participate in volunteering and leading your chapter. That will build those two traits in you. So you may be the low person on the totem pole at your business. You may be entry level, but you can join an SMPS chapter, volunteer for a committee in that chapter, possibly even take a leading role in that chapter and learn those skills on that volunteer level. So I would say definitely join, participate, get engaged, get involved, do something for, for your local chapter to build those skills of assertiveness and self-efficacy. Number two, expand your network. Get to know a lot of people in this business. Develop relationships with veteran and seasoned marketers who can help you grow as a leader. There's plenty of other people just like me out in this, in this industry who would love to sit down and help you build these traits and believe that you have something of value to offer your company and teach you how to communicate that effectively to your principals and to your leaders. So take advantage of them, build that network. I did the same. I, I remember meeting, gosh, probably three or four fellows in the first two or three years of me being an SMPS. And I didn't recognize who I was talking to at the time, but I remember talking to people like Brad Thurman and the Oklahoma chapter and Chris Rickman some of the, your audience may know who Lindsay Young is from the Wichita chapter. I mean, there's others, but I remember developing relationships with these people early in my career and learning from them because they had already been doing it for a while and had been successful. And so do that. And then some of you may want to hire a life coach or an executive coach and be formal about learning better assertiveness and building your self-efficacy in a formal way. And that would be a, a great idea, too. And I would encourage that. Yeah. And to touch on one of the points that you made earlier, I think early on in your career, it's so easy to forget that your firm has hired you for your specific skill set. I remember just starting out and I was like, how can I do this? I'm not an engineer, but no one hired me to be an engineer. They hired me to be a marketer and to use exactly. what I've got. So I do think there is something to be said about saying, you know, what you've got right now is enough. You know what you're doing and you're there to help. Like you're not there to be the expert in everything, but if you're at a firm and they've, they're paying you money to do this, which they are and a decent amount, hopefully, you know, they want your expertise. They want your feedback. It's not, you're not expected to be in a room and be quiet the entire time. Like you're expected to give your opinions. Otherwise, where's your value? So, you know, and maybe it's worth saying, Keelan, we're probably talking to a few people who unfortunately may be in situations where they were only hired to keep quiet and do what they were told. And if, if you feel like you're in that situation, I would encourage you to find a new company to work for. It's, it's not worth your time to waste it on a company who doesn't value what they hired you for. And so, you know, I know that may be a hard ask. It may be difficult for you to take that step, but it's one of those steps that as soon as you take it and you find that company who does value you for what you're bringing to the table and does want your opinion and does want you to speak up, it'll be like breathing fresh air and you'll wish you would have done it sooner. Yeah. 
I totally agree. I assume in the in the show notes, I'll have an email address or some way to contact me. Yes. I'm more than happy to share information with people, to build relationships, to help you, especially if you're early in your career. You're the kind of person I would love to visit with and mentor and learn from you and, and learn from your challenges and, and grow together. Thank you. That's awesome. So for our listeners, how do we find you, Gabe? Well, probably the easiest and most consistent way is just on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, you can just search me in and ask to connect or something on LinkedIn. I actually feel like that's, especially this year, <laughs> has become one of the primary networking tools to stay in touch with people and share ideas with people. So Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, I did too, Keelan. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to hearing more Marketeer podcasts in the future. Oh, thanks. All right, Marketeers, that is a wrap on this week's episode. If you're enjoying this podcast, I would invite you to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. New episodes are released every Wednesday. Chat soon.